Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new episode from Set and Tone. This is an episode that I'm really excited and I'm really, really proud to be bringing you. Stick around because I'll be telling you why I'm excited and proud to be bringing you this episode right after the intro. Everybody and welcome to today's episode. This is an episode that I'm really excited to be bringing you. I'm really proud to be bringing you this episode. It is Set in Tone presents its Thomas Ian Nicholas special. And simply what that comprises of, that comprises of we'll be playing your track titled 1999, which is a parody of Bottom of Suits 1985. I bring you an interview with Thomas, which took place this past Thursday, the 16th of November, here in Northampton at the venue The Black Prince, as Thomas Ian Nicholas is band were on tour. And then I'll be playing you out the very latest track, Tomorrow's Gonna Hurt. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Stick around because here comes 1999. On second base, till apple pie replaced. Bumping just so refined. Oz the lacrosse guy, Stifler's feeling frail from the pale ale. Vicky wants I love you. Kevin's not so sure. Jeff says that it's just sex, not a launch of the space shuttle. And Jim got duty max, and Connor's from his dad. Sherman ain't alive, about doing wild things. Shit, Kevin is over it. So they make a pact, they have each other's back. Stifler's such a dick, the mochaccino trick. Girls thought that Finch was cool, now he should break at school. Sonadia on Jim's webcam. Oz is the choir guy, he's trying to get with Heather and Finch got with Stifler's mom, she was a total male. Michelle used Jim to spy this one time at Ben Camp's. Some Pearl Jam, Green Day, way before the Coldplay, there was Third Eye, Tonic, Blink-182 was new, these four friends, they just might be late before their prom night, they're just not satisfied, 19, 19, 
99. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode from Set Tone. I am joined by Thomas Ian Nicholas. Welcome, welcome, Set Tone. Pleasure yeah. to have you, man. Thank you so much for having me. For your patience this evening, uh, made you wait a long time upstairs for this. Not a problem. It was a pleasure to see you do a cover of Fat Lip. <laughs> that alas, only in this town, only in Northampton. Well, like, like I was telling you when we were walking up the stairs here, um, that I've got, uh, I did a cover of it with Eugene Levy. The band, not the actor from the American Pie films. Um, and so that will come out at the end of February on Groundhog Day. I'll tell you what, Eugene Levy would be cool to have in a band. <laughs> he would be. I'm surprised. He, I wonder if he knows about this pop punk band in Muscatine, Iowa, and that they've commandeered his name. I wonder. I wonder. Um, I'll see you on tour. This is night three out of the five, I believe. Yep. How's it been going so far? And welcome it's, to UK. Thank you. Yeah, I was just uh, here in August and I'll be back again in March and May next year. So I've, I've been coming and doing tours here, I think, at least once or twice a year since 2012. So I think at this point I've played. I, I was doing the math. Uh, I don't know what, remember what conversation I was having. I think I've done at least 200 shows in England and Wales. Only a handful in Scotland. Scotland and Ireland, which they get very mad that I don't visit there more often. But as I keep saying to people, if people book people, they will come. That's what it comes down to. True that. True that. <laughs> that leads me nicely onto my next um, kind of point. Um, you've mentioned that you've come over to the UK many times. Um, and Northampton, I don't know if you've played Northampton before. I don't think you have. I don't think so. Um, certainly not at the Black Prince. I think I've been in Southampton. That's not even anywhere near where we are right now. Um, I'm trying to think, is Milton Keynes near this area? Yeah, so that's 30 minutes down the yeah, road. Yeah, so I've played in Milton Keynes yeah. before, which I think I'll be playing there in March uh, at a, uh, what is it, Crawford Arms? Is I do right? know Crawford Arms, a lovely venue. Yeah. Lovely venue. Do these kind of smaller towns compared to, like, so we know you've got your big cities like London, Manchester, playing in small so does that give you a chance to go and see different things and get different people in that might not be going to these bigger shows? How do you feel? I mean, it's, it's sort of like the same thing you said. If, if you know, if you book them, they will come. <laughs> like, I go where the offers are. Um, and so I, I've always, I don't know, I really like going to places that, you know, but I mean, I think the Black Prince has had a, a number of U.S. acts through. Mm-hmm. And obviously... Clearly, that's due to, you know, the promoters reaching out to said acts. And I mean, you know, you'd be like, look, we just came through and played 47 shows in the UK. I think they they, they must have played every city that's here. (laughs) Insane, insane. It's crazy because a few years ago, they played a venue up the road. Um, called the Picture Drone. Really lovely venue. Um, But yeah, like you say, if people book, then... Right. Well, guys, like one of my favorite places to play in the UK is actually in uh, in Wales, in a very small mountain town called Merthyr Tydfil. And I know it. And I, I, have, I have friends there. <laughs> I have played in Merthyr at least once a year. Uh, well, I guess not in the very beginning. The very beginning, I didn't play a show there, but I played in uh, in Mountain Ash. Uh, which I guess is like just up the road from there. And that was like by far the most fun. And then after that, I played a show at the Kwamamaman Center with a like Oasis cover band. <laughs> like year three, I started playing in Merthyr at New Crown with George. And it's I, I, I love George. and I love Merthyr. It's cool. Uh, when you keep how do you go about keeping your set fresh? Because you've got an array of material. We've got cover songs. You've got jokey songs. You've got original songs. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. 
I mean, I, I, the whole, like even doing any cover songs, like the frat party album, um, that was concepted here in England. Uh, I got offered a tour doing like freshers week back in 2016, I think it was. And they wanted like me to play covers. I was like, Oh, that's okay. No problem. You know, like I don't play covers, but thank you for thinking of me. And they were like, no, listen, it's these 10 shows. It's, guaranteed sold out venues at 2000 cap rooms. I was like, right. Do I get to pick my own covers or, uh, <laughs> are you going to pick them for me? So when that came about, I was like, well, I've got to come up with something that makes sense for me to do cover songs. I don't want to be a tribute act mm-hmm. and be stuck in like one lane. So then I, conceptualize well i'll just point out the elephant in the room and pick all my favorite songs from the american pie soundtracks but i didn't want to like call the you know the record like american pie the album so i called it frat party which kind of is reminiscent of you know the red cup parties that america's notorious for um and so yeah i uh I conceptualized that here. And so I, you know, with those ones, I mean, you can never go wrong playing any of those hits. I mean, that's, you know, what alternative DJ sets were built on that. Now the States has called emo night and I'm sure that's over here now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, But like propaganda was doing that stuff way back when, like I was playing all the propaganda venues back in 2014 and Mm. played Glastonbury with them in 2015 or 16, whatever it was. Um, And so How do I keep it fresh? I mean, I keep it fresh by continually writing new songs. Um, So my buddy uh, that produced my last singles during lockdown is actually from Warrington. He lives in Nashville now. Uh, and now my new producer is from Nashville originally and lives in LA. And you of course know him. Uh, he's Taylor Carroll. He's in the band chemical fire with RJ Hale from Hailstorm, And he's also the drummer for lit. Um, I'm definitely playing the new single tomorrow's going to hurt, which I haven't played. Uh, you know, we haven't played, uh, you know, until this tour and I'm going to be showcasing the new single that comes out December 1st called same kids. Awesome. Um, acting to musician, as we all know, we all know and love you from classics like Halloween resurrection world before Mickey, which not many people might know that's quite a, a hidden gem. And obviously American pie. Well, so I've just found out that my film adverse has not gotten UK distribution, but apparently you can watch it on YouTube now. That's cool. Yeah. So YouTube obviously broke the boundaries. Uh, and even though that's like from Lionsgate in the States, now you can see my film with Mickey Rourke uh, entitled Adverse. So another hidden gem for your listeners. Awesome. When did you go about, go about picking a few first instrument and going, hey, I love my acting. I, you know, that's great. I can do that all day till the cows come home. But I want to pick up a, a guitar or play a keyboard or drums. When did you go about picking up your first instrument and falling in love with music? Um. I mean, I had already, I always loved listening to music and like, I think my mom and I, our favorite like album on road trips was Dark Side of the Moon. Um, and we would just listen to it front to back, you know, so many times, more times than I can even remember to the point where when I got to see Roger Waters perform Dark Side of the Moon at Coachella in 2007, I called my mom and held the phone up <laughs> for the entirety of the concert. Um, just because that was like our album. I also like wore out her, uh, houses of the Holy cassette tape from Led Zeppelin, one of my favorite Led Zeppelin albums. Um, and so I always loved seventies rock. And then in like, when I turned, I guess like 12, I got like my first like Walkman 
and a gift was like the Bohemian Rhapsody or sorry, um, Wayne's World soundtrack, which Bohemian Rhapsody. Have you noticed a, a, a trend here? I've picked all English bands. I have. Yeah. I just realized that as I'm telling you this, I'm like every band I'm mentioning right now. I also love the who I took my mom to see them at the Hollywood Bowl when Entwistle was still alive. Um, so I guess, man, maybe, maybe English rock has had a, a greater influence on me than I, than I even knew. I've, I've thought about this a lot over the years. So I think we had a period of time where, you know, 70s and 80s, where there was a lot coming out of the UK, which was really good, even probably before like, the Beatles. And I've picked up more 80s, 90s. America took over with your Metallicas and your Amphrac, you know, your Fresh Scene and new metal came out. So I think we're kind of, you know, swapping over, over each decade. You, you give, we give. And <laughs> I like that. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, so yeah, it wasn't until I was about 14 that I finally sort of saw the guitar sitting in the corner of my apartment with my mom and it belonged to my mom. So um, yeah, that was like around the time that like Kurt Cobain died. And I remember there was this kid at my, uh, my junior high school that did like a week of silence and he was in a band. And I remember thinking to me, like thinking to myself, um, this kid didn't stand for anything. He was a slacker. Like he, you know, he was always getting bad grades. He's always getting in trouble, but for him to like commit to this like week of silence over Kurt's death was like kind of profound to me. And, you know, as kids, we overthink things mm. more so than we do as adults. Cause you know, by now you've got responsibilities <laughs> and life experience. So you don't have time to be, you know, esoteric, but when you're a kid, you're very esoteric. So I was like, I overthought this and I thought like, wow, music's so powerful. And it was then that I like the guitar that had been there my whole life. I was like, and my, another friend of mine had started playing and he bought the Nirvana like tablature book. So I like had his dad show me some chords. My first song I learned was, I'm like, mom, do you have any song books? She's like, yeah, she pulled out bread, the band bread. And I learned how to play if on guitar. Um, so that was my first song, which I guess they're a big influence of Radiohead. So I didn't talk about that being my first song. I was like, I learned stairway to heaven, but that was really my second song. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was the moment that I, I picked it up. And for me at, at first, it just became a part of me. Like there's pictures of me from the age of 14 to like 17 where I was hanging out with my friends. I was the kid at the party that always had the guitar. That was me. Um, and so it, what it was never really the idea, like I was going to leave one to do the other. I would just play guitar in my trailer, like waiting to go to work on set and, you know, take it with me when I was on location, get, you know, yelled at by the hotel management for playing too late at night and like being too loud. And, uh, you know, it was, it, so it's just something that I've, I've kind of always done both. And I think that, you know, we live in a world that is just very, very large. There's a lot of amazing things. So I often hear like, Oh, I didn't know you did music or, Oh, I didn't know about this movie. And it's kind of like, well, that's not surprising. Cause you know, I'm not Iron Man or in a Marvel movie. So <laughs> I'm not being my, my, my art isn't being rammed down people's throats, but it's there for those that discover it. And I, I really enjoy meeting people that enjoy what I do. Thank you very much. Uh, in terms of what you taking inspiration, do you can you take inspiration from whether you've you know a bit of acting, or do you take your inspiration from songwriting to put into acting, like going vice versa between the two? Um, I mean, for for acting, it's a very different process of building a character. It's all about just writing the character's backstory, but making sure that the bits that you choose 
support the choices that the character is going to make. Um, so clearly like, you know, if you've got a character that's very well rounded, you know, you're going to give him a nice upbringing. If he's got a chip on his shoulder, you're going to write something in his history that defines that chip on his shoulder. So, um, and that's all sort of self-serving to like what is in the script. As far as music goes, I just try to write what I know, um, from experience or, and just be in the moment, Mm -hmm. um, which is actually pretty fun. Like, I don't, I guess I can talk about it. So Taylor Carroll, as I mentioned, has produced my seventh album. And so he was, Chad Tepper is someone else that he's producing as well, was coming in for a session after me. And I was like, oh, great to see you, man. Cool. Have a good session. He's like, you should stay. So then I ended up co-writing a song with Chad Tepper that he was trying to get Smash Mouth to guest on. And then they liked it. So now essentially I've got to co-write with Chad Tepper and Smash Mouth. Wow. That comes out (laughs) December 1st. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Leads me nice on to my next question. Obviously you've got a lot of friends across both industries has has any particular band or artist helped you with the thomas nicholas band has anyone kind of give you any advice or guidance because there's not really a guidebook for starting a band is there it's not you don't need down to the line and how do i start a band um i mean there's been a lot i mean there's been a lot of help along the way i would say the most poignant person that has helped me um recently has been Jarrett reddick from bowling for soup lovely man um yeah he's he's literally the nicest person and he he just i don't know he just always kind of like he's like this just kind of brings everyone all of his friends into his circle and just he just seems to give back so much mm-hmm. i mean doing the parody of 1990 or of 1985 1999 with him um opened up a lot of opportunities for me to the point where I think that's how I got noticed by SBAM, the, the record company that I, I just signed with. Um, they saw that song, became aware of me, asked Jared for my information to have me be in their documentary. And then I was playing a show with the whiskey and they saw the show. They wanted to come film some bits and they didn't realize that I had this, like what they called a DIY punk band, which I didn't really think about it in terms like that because after like not getting deals early on and just saying, screw it. I'm just going to keep going forward no matter what on my own, just because I love to play music. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, Jarrett has, has created probably the most influential opportunities for me, like in, in, in my music career. And I think just even associating with him um, brings validity to what I'm doing. They're like, Oh, he's actually a musician. He's not just like some actor picking up a guitar and going to like make some money at a show. No, absolutely. Uh, I want to talk about American Pie meets pop punk, and um, this is something that has sat with me a long time. We, I grew up loving the films. I even grew up loving Road Trip and everything else that came around that that era. That era for me is really powerful. I don't think a lot of people kind of talk about it, that. You've got these films that are kind of high school, you know, classic high school scenarios, and trying to get you know laid, if you will, <laughs> and you've got this wonderful music that comes alongside that. You've got two forces. You know, you've got bands like Blink. Um, oh, I'm going to absolutely embarrass them. Well, gold, gold, gold in there. Finger. I'm trying to think of these names. Yeah. And then later on, American Hi-Fi, Lit. Just the list goes on. Yeah. How, why do you think this was such a powerful movement? It kind of, you know, it kind of spoke to a lot of those, if you were dorks or not cool kids and skater kids. 
and just kind of brought everyone together. I feel. Yeah, it's it's a funny thing where there's a, such a synergy between that genre of music and the American Pie films. I honestly didn't put two and two together on it until I was again over here on a tour. I was playing in uh, in uh, Bristol and Nottingham for the Hit the Deck Festival, and um, I remember like walking around the festival and people were like, what the hell are you doing here? You're the kid from American Pie. I'm like, oh, my band's playing. And then they were like, oh, awesome. You have a band. Like, that's so cool. And then I, I and they just kind of seem like the people that I knew would dig my music. And I like, I was in the right place mm-hmm. and it just dawned on me, this like synergy between pop punk and, you know, American pie movies and the soundtrack. And I think they kind of went hand in hand. I don't know. Did American pie shove the movement forward? Did the movement of pop punk music shove American pie forward? I think they're hand in hand. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I recently watched the same load interview with Blink Lake two before um, one more time came out and he was talking about how they, uh, if you were kind of, they took the ideas, they made a business out of it. And I think that might have helped with American Pie and that era. Such a powerful, just really powerful for me. Well, but like Universal knew what they were, what Blink was doing. And I remember they dropped off uh, a copy of Dude Ranch in our like trailers, in our, our dressing rooms. And they were like, with a note from the, one of the executives saying, uh, Blink-182 is going to do a cameo in the movie and they're the next Green Day take a listen to this. And so I, I hadn't heard it. So I listened to it. I thought it was awesome. Even though I was wrapped on the film, they were shooting on the very last day. I came to set just to like, hang out with them and meet, you know, Mark and Tom and Travis. And they like, they shot a music video in that setting, but I don't think that footage ever got used for anything, but they like had like the dolly track and they're like there with like, you know, the computer and like their little garage band thing. And they, uh, I don't remember. I don't even remember what song they recorded. I can't remember at this point. Maybe it was Mutt. I don't know. I think he was saying it was such a long time ago. Well, Mutt was in the soundtrack, but I don't know that they were doing that song for the music video. Cause again, that footage is like archived somewhere at Universal and no one's ever seen it, but I was there when they shot it. Um, you mentioned earlier your single tomorrow's going to hurt, which is the latest single. Um, absolutely great anthem thank you very much for delivering that to the world um, my take from that and correct me if I'm wrong is kind of you know you get, someone's going to go out the next, that night before the whether it be work or a wedding or what they've got to do and you're going to pay for it if you're going to have too much fun you're going to pay for that the next day whether it be a hangover or get up late or just something is that kind of the meaning behind the song um, f- for me the, the surface level meaning is that the the greater sort of like deeper cut into the message is um, about having a good time no matter what's going on in your life. So if you if you really dive deep into the verse lyrics, everything's going wrong for, you know, this this person or, you know, my character of the song. Um, and then they decide to be like yeah, I'm, I'm aware it's like self-awareness, but then they decide to go out anyway. And what that means to me is that there's always going to be problems in our lives. There's always going to be things to solve challenges, but we have to remember to take the time to go hang with our friends. Cause it's so easy to just be like, Oh, I can't, you know, I've got too much going on, but you know, you do that enough times, your friends stop inviting you places. Yeah, uh, they, uh, the dark side, they might not be around as well. Right. Yeah. Um, 
First, congratulations. You've mentioned the S-BAM uh, record sign. That's amazing news. I understand there'll be a new album. We have a record sign. There's always a new album. They just go hand in hand. What can what can we all expect from, from that upcoming album? Is, is there any kind of collaborations that are going to be on that? And Yes. Uh, we're going to have some amazing features. I, I don't have confirmations on everything. I do know that... Um, that I did write a brand new song with uh, Jarrett Reddick, um, and he has just recently, and the band have agreed to be a feature on that track. So it'll actually be Chris and Rob and Gary and Jarrett playing on the track, uh, and that's going to be the the title track of the album, which is "We're Going to Be Okay" is the the song title, and so that'll also be the you know the album title. Um, we just did for the third single, which will come out in January. We just wrote a killer new tune with uh, um, some someone amazing, but they're kind of, I don't know that they're going to feature on it because they're kind of moving into more of like a country direction. Okay. But um, we wrote with, uh, with Zach from uh, American authors, but we still wrote a killer tune. So, um, and then there's going to be some other features on there. I'm talking to my friends like Tom Higginson from the plain white tees and uh, Adrian Estrella from, you know, zebra head. And I know like, um, uh, uh, what is it? Andrew Goldstein wants to come and write with us because he heard tomorrow's going to hurt and really liked it. Um, and there's also, well, I'm, I'm talking because I wrote a song with Ace Enders from the early November. Um, and I'm trying to get them to agree to like actually do a feature on it as opposed to it just be a co-write, but we'll see. Um, I don't know if it's too early to say, but where do you think this sits in your body of work? This particular album, is it too early to say if it's going to be probably the best thing you've done, or do you think it's going to be a good mix of, the past and the present. I think what Taylor is doing with the record is giving my music the most modern sound that it's had. Um, I mean, certainly, you know, growing up listening to seventies music and like being brought up in the grunge era, everything I wrote kind of always had like a foot in the past Mm -hmm. and the new stuff I think has this, Uh, this still has this foot in the past, but it's a different kind of foot in the past. It's more like a throwback or a nostalgia vibe as opposed to I'm stuck (laughs) sounding like I'm from the nineties. Um, and then with this modern flair that Taylor's giving it on the production side, I honestly think this is some of like the, the best stuff that I've, I've ever been able to release and, and call my own. It's been an incredible experience working with Taylor. Awesome. You are no doubt one of the busiest people in America with obviously music, production, film, te- whatever comes your way project wise. <laughs> I know you'll be there. What what have you got planned for 2024? Uh, well, my, uh, my new TV show underdeveloped that is not out in the UK yet. Uh, it will be soon. I know we were just running to some technical problems with Amazon Prime and Freebie, uh, but it will be here soon. I promise. Awesome. Uh, and in fact, Jarrett Reddick is the narrator of the TV show. So we have crossed over. I was like, Jarrett, you did a lot for me in music. I'm bringing you into my world. Um, so he's there. And, you know, obviously we've got. So essentially he got to act with Tom Arnold and David Keckner from The Office and uh, um, uh, Mark Pellegrino from uh, Supernatural and David Henry from Wizards of Waverly Place. He just was in his own little recording booth, but you know, he's in the scenes with them. Um, and then I've got uh, an, another couple of uh, feature films, maybe getting back into crime drama like Adverse. That'll be probably like 
maybe in the late spring of next year that we're going to shoot that. Um, so there's, there's always lots of things and basically just never sleeping and always working. <laughs> it's great that um, Jarrett's work finally paying, is paying off for his songwriting for Phineas and Ferb, right? All those years ago. Now he's coming to TV more. There it is. <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that's who else. I was just actually texting with my buddy, Aaron Jones, uh, who is going to come do a feature on the record as well. He's coming to LA. He lives in Seattle. Um, we were just hanging out together in Vegas. He was playing a festival there. And so he's agreed to come do a feature on the record as well. So Cool. Um, just to close out our time together, just got a couple of fun questions for yourself. Okay. Uh, this one might be a tricky one because I don't imagine there's not many people you have not shared a cold drink with at some point in your life. <laughs> not so, many people I haven't shared a cold drink with. So, okay. Who where, would you, is, where is this question going? Who would you like to share a cold drink with? Dave Grohl. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I have recorded at his studio, borrowed his guitar, uh, not met him yet. That's, that, that's weird itself. You've literally, Go into the man's home effectively, put your feet up, watch right. his telly, and you've not said hello to him. That's effectively what I well, When I was recording the frat party album at his studio, at Studio 606, he was on vacation. And so the closest that I got, besides just being there, was I picked up a guitar to check the amp. And I just looked at the engineer and said, Oh, whose guitar is this? He goes, Oh, it's one of Dave's. And I was like, Is it okay that I'm like playing it? He goes, Oh, yeah. Dave, give, he, would, he would give you the shirt off his back. And so I played the entire record on that guitar. He was like, do you want to get one of your, I was like, nope, I had brought seven guitars from home. <laughs> Did not even open them out of the case. Awesome. Um, if you were to reboot American Pie and had to replace yourself, Jason Biggs, Sean William Scott, Chris King, and Eddie K. Thomas to play those characters, who would you pick out, out of the world to replace them? Where would it be bands or fellow actors? Oh my gosh. I have no idea. Um, I mean, the closest thing, because obviously this will not even land with you because Rookie of the Year is not a very widely known film in in the UK because it's an American baseball movie. Uh, I've been pitching for a while to have my son play my play Henry's son in the movie because he's 12 now and I was 12 when I shot that and obviously my son's following in my footsteps he plays Tom Arnold's son in the new TV show and he was in the M. Night movie old um, that came out a couple years ago um, I have no idea who would go in the American Pie remake because I think I've only just kind of like if I started to pay attention to you know the younger generation they're now a little bit too old to play us you know, you can't go and pick like, um, you know, the like Timothy Chalamet is great, but he's he's too old to be high school now. That's Although in comparison to my old ass, he looks pretty young. <laughs> I feel like I probably gave you an unfair question to prepare. That's, that's a tough thing. I mean, like, who would you even pick like that is even that age? Like, I, I'm not even aware of actors that are in that, like, <laughs> in that age range. I, I'm, I'm not an ageist by any means, but I'm just, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think, like... Uh, who who do I know that's 18? <laughs> no one. I'd, pro- I'd probably just make it afraid, like the guys from Blink and a couple of bottom suit guys now, even though they're not that age. <laughs> just just see how it goes. Okay, so basically what you're saying is, who could I reboot the film with if I had a, a time machine? <laughs> Effectively. Right, okay. That just opens up like an entirely <laughs> different question. Really, I think, let's let's rephrase this question, shall we? What, what band would you replace the 
actors with if you had a time machine? This this question just got really weird. I have no answer for you. Do you know, I did not think about this as I was typing out these questions. <laughs> You're like, this question looked good on paper until it, until it came out. It was like, what? It really did. It really did. Awesome. Uh, Christmas is obviously around the corner. It's scary that this year's gone flying by it was literally july august i was in california myself and here we are in winter um how does the uh family celebrate christmas what you, what are your traditions um i mean typically well well although i think this year i'm out of town uh my family's doing the christmas party like super early um i have i'm the youngest of seven on my dad's side so i'm i've got a lot of half siblings um and so i think they just planned the christmas party like the first like not the first the second weekend in december which is like the december 9th and i'm playing a show in hawaii with john vesley from secondhand serenade and forest from hello goodbye i'm like I'm not even going to be there for the Christmas party. I'm like, could you guys look at my schedule at the next weekend open? Actually, no, I don't have the next weekend open because I'm have one more show with a Blink-182 tribute act in Northern California. So really there's just no hope for me uh, (laughs) celebrating with everyone. So at home, the tradition is um, instead of cooking a Turkey, I actually do uh, a, like a slow cooked lamb roast. Uh, I'm sort of the cook of the family. uh, And so I do this like five hour, like slow cooked, you know, lamb with carrots and onions. And that's become like the traditional Christmas dinner for us. My daughter uh, is seven, but when she was like five, she called lamb bones. Because, <laughs> you know, when you serve like the lamb chops and it comes with a little bone, she would, uh, I would put like a napkin on the bone so she could like hold it up. And so she just would call lamb like, are you making bones? Are these bones? Awesome. And then lastly for myself, what makes you music so special for yourself? What makes what? So music, music so special for yourself. Um, music is special for me because it is a, um, expression of me. Um, and when I'm acting, I'm playing someone else's character. I'm diving into someone else's shoes and skin and and all that and, and molding myself to take direction and go that way in music. It's, this is what I'm feeling. This is who I am. This is the real me. So that to me is what makes at least from the creative standpoint, music so special to me is that it's me. Awesome. Uh, Thomas, thank you very much for your time. I hope you have a great rest of the tour and stay here in the UK. Uh, Thank you once again. Thank you so much for having me. No worries, man. Hello everyone and welcome back. So you've heard the tracks 1999. You've heard our interview with Thomas there, which took place on the 16th of November here in Northampton at the venue, the Black Prince. We'll give a couple of shout outs to two people that, who quite frankly, if it wasn't for their help, this episode would not be possible. So we'll give a shout out to my good friend, Phil. Um, Thank you, Phil, for your time and um, for helping me get in contact with Tom and put this one together. Phil is in a band called The Uma. Uh, go and check out the humor. They're a great, great band. Um, lots and lots of fun. And if you see them on a, on a date that's in a town that you go and check them out. And then I want to give a big shout out to our guest, our special guest, Thomas Ian Nicholas. Thank you once again from the bottom of my heart for your time, for taking the time out of your day, your tour, to come and chat to me, Rob, from Setting the Tone. So thank you very much to you two human beings for your help, time, love and support. Thank you very much. 
I want to give a shout out to you people out there for tuning in today's episode. Before we go, we'll be bringing you the track Tomorrow's Gonna Hurt, which is Thomas Ian Nicholas's band's latest track. It is coming from the upcoming album, which is coming to you, I'm assuming, in 2024. Thomas, as you heard him say, will be back in the UK March and May in 2024. If you see Thomas Ian Nicholas's band at a venue that you can get to, please, please, please go and check the band out. They're a great band, lovely people, great musicians, and no doubt you'll have a lot, a lot of fun. Welcome back. I just want to say before we go, thank you to all of you for tuning in to our Thomas and Nicholas special once again. I want to sh- say if you're in the band and you've got an EP, an album, or a single, or you're starting up, or even going on tour and you want to come on the show and talk about that, 
then please feel free to reach out to me. You can do so via email, stt outlookcom or you can reach us through our Facebook and so, uh, Instagram channels, which is Sectone UK Podcast. Again, thank you very, very much to Phil Thomas and to you guys out there for tuning to today's episode. Bye-bye for now.